welcome to The New Disruptors, a podcast that says the sum of us is greater than just some of us. I'm your host, Glenn Fleischman, the editor and publisher of The Magazine. The New Disruptors is part of the Boing Boing family of podcasts. You can find other great podcasts and us at boingboing.net. Listen to Gweek, a weekly show hosted by Boing Boing editor Mark Frauenfelder, in which he talks with artists, creators, publishers, and other people about what they're working on and the things they like in comics, books, movies, TV, and other media. This week's episode of The New Disruptors was recorded on-site in San Francisco at the home of Double Union. I spoke with Amelia Greenhall about the aims of this new makerspace and quite a bit more. Here's our talk. I'm sitting here in a space that's about to be completely transformed. The carpet's still here, but the ceiling tiles are gone. Uh, and then Double Union. And I'm here with Amelia Greenhall, who's one of the movers behind this new makerspace. And we're going to talk about how we got into this room and the transformation that's about to take place. Thanks for being on the podcast. Hey, thanks, Glenn. So you have a million interests, and you also have a ton of expertise. I'm always interested in how people figure out what their path in life is when they have so many choices. Can you tell me a little bit about the, the background, like how we got to this how we got to this room for you? Oh, um, so my my background is that I went to electrical engineering school for college and also did a, a art minor, so mostly screen printing and photography. And so I've I've kind of been programming and also making and designing stuff uh, for a long time. And so I've just kind of, from there, uh, like always wanting to make stuff, uh, done a lot of publishing of books, and I've been running this uh, literary journal uh, that we publish online in some print editions called the Open Review Quarterly. Do you, is that a, one of the zines you do? So I know I've seen some on your site. I can see like actual zine production, like actual paper being assembled. Oh yeah, we uh, that that sometimes gets printed as a zine. So sometimes we make PDFs that you could download. If you print it double sided and fold it in half, then you have a zine. I've also just made a zine about periods with uh, a collaborator here at Double Union, and we had like we kind of came together really fast. Like in a, we put an, a, a call for entries out and. Uh, like 10 people submitted stuff, and there's already submissions coming in for the second one. It was pretty well received. We brought it to East Bay Zine Fest last weekend. I love the resurgence of zines. It feels like they're coming back. Is that is the Zine Fest, has it gotten larger over time? Have you been going for a few years? Uh, it's Yeah, I mean, I, I kind of, like, you know, heard that this one was the, the best uh, yet for the East Bay one. Um, it was great. Uh, there are a bunch of people in Double Union make zines. Uh, Hannah Schulman makes one called Mermaid Tits. She made the second one. It's just like these incredible drawings, um, kind of like very surreal. Like, uh, I wish we hadn't packed up everything. <laughs> I'd, I'd bring it out. And then uh, the Abby Young makes Camel Toe the zine, and she just publ- she published the third one, uh, issue three, this weekend uh, at the Zine Fest. And there's kind of all these like. Feminist publishing, um, like independent bookmaking stuff that's going on. That's great. And it's, uh, it's funny that it's, well, I guess I, I don't know if it's coming back. It feels like it's coming back because I hear about zines again where I didn't for a long time. I remember that in the 80s. That was huge because desktop publishing sort of got everybody over the mimeograph or the, or the typesetting machine. And I, I, there were two, I think they're both closed now, but there were two zine shops in Portland, Oregon for at least a few years. So there's, it feels like that's, there's this resurgent interest in not just creating stuff, but people consuming what's being created really by small groups or by hand, not by consortia of companies. Yeah, people, I mean, I'm really interested in 
buying art and buying zines and, and stuff that are made by hand, like how we connected through Ellie Blue. You know, like I mm-hmm. love the work that she's doing and how she is kind of like creatively funding each whole project. Um, yeah, because she's sort of like it's she's a step above. Well, she does zines and she also does like a step above it where she goes to like more expensive printing, but she's using Kickstarter to fund the higher yeah, production the, cost of that, so she can do something at that level. Yeah, so like um, for bringing double union together, for example, we um, we started by fundraising kind of within our group. So we met at this, I guess, unconference. Two hundred women in open source mm-hmm. technology and culture. Um, met in June, uh, Ada Initiative organized it, and it was just this kind of like great bringing together. Um, and Lee Honeywell and Francis Hokut, who mm-hmm. do Seattle Attic, which is a feminist hacker space there, it was just getting started. And then some of the people from Flux in Portland, which is a similar feminist hacker space that was also just getting started at the time. We were all hanging out, and we were kind of like, we need one in San Francisco. How do we not have one yet? And um, it's you know it had I think the ideas had been kind of brewing on mailing list for a couple of years, so yeah so after um, you know we spent a couple of days together at this conference and talking about it and um, and we just decided that this core group of people who are interested in, we're going to start meeting every Tuesday at one of our houses and just get together and try to take a step forward you know so we've been meeting um, since June and it was kind of like what do we want it to be named like oh double union um, and that. But that came out of a bunch of discussions, you know, uh, like, well, should we be, you know, similar to, oh, we want it to be a a place that you can go, you know, so Union sounds like a place. And so eventually I think we found that by looking at a list of ASCII characters. um, Oh, the symbol. And, like, mathematical symbol. So, yeah, so Union has a mathematical meaning, but double Union, which is two Union symbols together, like Mm -hmm. a U within a U, doesn't really have any mathematical meaning. Um, But we kind of liked it because, you know, it sort of speaks to the, like, intersectional feminism that we aspire to, like, that it's a union, like, unions are places you can go, and it it evokes something, you know, that you are interested in but didn't necessarily know what it meant right away. Um, I I need you to go back and define some things that I know, and I'm not sure all the, I may know, and I'm not sure all the listeners will know. So, Unconference, the Ada Initiative, and feminist hacker spaces. These are three concepts that are, I want to say, are not not all of them are new, but each of them is sort of you are all led up to where we are right now. Unconferences. I've never attended one, and I'm dissatisfied with most conferences. I used to go to tons of tech conferences that used to be dominated by the loudest voice, or be panels of people. I felt like there was a point where there's nothing I'm learning here. It's all marketing or people networking behind the scenes. What's the concept behind an unconference? Why do you go to one? Um. What I really like about unconferences is kind of the that like feeling that anything can be created. Like you can um, so in the in the mornings during the day, there's some time where everybody gets together and schedules the day ahead. You know, so there's often some sort of underlying structure, and some of them are a bit curated. You know, like certain people from the attendees list are you know like oh hey I saw you were working on. You know, imposter syndrome chaining, another def- <laughs> definition. <laughs> uh, you know, would you want to give a workshop on that? Everybody on this show is, has confessed to having imposter syndrome at some point, even no matter how qualified they are. <laughs> anyway, sorry. Yeah. Um, yeah, most people have it, I guess. I think if you, right, if you're beyond a certain level of competence, if you don't doubt yourself, that's a problem. 
perhaps. But uh, so in the, you know, this to be. I don't know if this is similar, but the bird of a feather things at some conferences I went to were better than the, the events because they were organized by people based on affinity and interest and someone would take an interest or you'd stick up a sheet. So the unconference at some level... So it kind of captures like the all, best part of that, you know, uh, like the whole, um, you know, so maybe there are, you know, at a day camp there were probably like 10 separate areas, like rooms or areas within the main room that there would be discussion groups. So... Mm. Uh, a lot of people would write on a big piece, of, big like construction papers, and like, "Oh, I would like to have a workshop on this." And you could suggest a, a discussion group or a workshop on a topic you didn't know anything about, or on one you knew a lot, or one you knew a little and wanted to learn more. And then people kind of walk down this long row of tables, or there's some kind of voting structure where you can make marks on the ones that you're really interested in, and then kind of the the, peop- the ones with the topics with the most interest would bubble up and become discussion groups, and then. You'd they'd just stick on the wall like mm-hmm. you know room A is having this discussion and then room B is having this one and then you'd look and pick where you wanted to go for that hour and um, often they have kind of like facilitator cards you know like some kind of role cards that you know I I just give you the uh, the moderator role cards and you don't necessarily have to know a lot about it your job is to make sure that it's moving along and then. Maybe there's another note-taker roll card and one that is specifically focused on making sure everyone gets to talk, you know, so, like, someone's only role is just to make, to kind of, like, towards the end be like, okay, you know, I noticed that this person over here hasn't said anything, do you want to jump in? So this is, this is hacking around the worst parts of conferences to get the most participation around what people are most interested in, in discussing, discussing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so just kind of the idea that it's it seems much less commercial and it's very like about sharing what the participants know and connecting people to one another. I love that. Well, see, it's um, I think one of the themes that I keep coming across in the sorts of um, like people and organizations that try to bypass the gatekeeper mentality or actual gatekeepers that prevent them from achieving something is consensus, is cooperation, collaboration, consensus, and the unconference sounds like a very interesting continuing exercise in um, as a concept in consensus yeah yeah and it and it works with a lot of different things you know like i help organize the quantified self group and mm-hmm. so kind of the the meetups that we do you know are like 60 to 100 people and usually we have some sort of like hour before and after where there's um kind of social stuff and like some a little bit of structure and then maybe an hour of talks that we recruit beforehand that are like you know seven minutes of like what is your quantified self experiment on how'd you do it and what'd you learn and then another time of questions um but other times we'll do like more like everybody votes on topics that they're interested in um and then we split the room up and and people like kind of do Mm -hmm. small discussions and on uh, a larger scale, there's two quantified self conferences. There's a, a nonprofit that um, kind of like helps organize all the different groups in all the different cities, and so those are really great. I they're kind of they call them curated unconferences. Um, Interesting. Oh. And so you know, there's like 400 to 600 spots depending on the venue they get, um, and you it it generally like sells out pretty quickly, and then the conference program is announced so the organizers go through and mm-hmm. and like you answer a ton of questions about what you're working on and you know 
where your website is and, and that kind of thing. And if you want to talk and then they go through and they're like, Oh, this person would be great. You know, like Maggie Delano is just like an MIT engineering student and she's coming and she invented this like wearable EKG and she like designed the circuit herself and has been wearing it. And so she should do one of the, uh, the show and tell talks about her experiment, but we should also have her in the like tables around lunchtime where you can go and actually see this, you know, the like circuits and stuff itself. And then other people are more like, Oh, this, this would be a great, you know, five minute ignite talk, or this would be a really good, like someone to have a booth set up. And so they kind of like go through all the attendees and then, so that's kind of like the curated style, like the, the program comes out of the attendees as well, but it's not like made up on the day of, but it's, um, I love how it bubbles out of uh, out of the interest. So it's not a top down hierarchical imposed approach that people buy into or not. It's something that bubbles from the bottom into what should be developed for the interests that are there. Without it, sounds like it sounds like from what you describe it that it avoids uh, creating things that are maybe <laughs> maybe appeal to the most people, but are the not necessarily useful for anyone. Instead, it sounds like things coalesce around bubbles of what the most interesting stuff is to a size of group of people. Yeah. Yeah, and then, I mean, there's, like, breakout sessions and, like, sort of hour-long talks and things that are facilitated going on. And so you always can go to something different. Um, there's, you know, looking at the program, there's generally, like, several things happening at once that I'm interested in. Well, I, I digress into this and ask you about it because I think it's really relevant for this, the space we're in. And what you're doing, too, is that um, I used to plan conferences, and I'm still involved with a lot of stuff where there's selection involved. And um, even for this podcast or for um, the magazine that I publish, uh, there's bias inherent in the selection process. And even people involved in the selection process, uh, such as myself, a white male, have no idea necessarily without great examination about what my selection bias is or what our selection bias is. So everyone comes with it. And I feel like the conference world especially uh, exhibits huge amounts of that bias in which the people creating the process refuse to accept that the process itself creates the selection. They're like, we're just asking everybody and only men answered or whatever. And so the unconference And like people who... I mean, the unconference approach solves some of that, but Mm -hmm. it's still, you know, you have to have the time off and be able to afford to go to the conference. Um, right. And childcare, because women are often the primary care provider, even in a, even in a couple, that's still... Yeah, and, and especially for larger, more commercial conferences, you know, reaching out to... You have to do a lot of reaching out to the um, different groups of speakers. Um, and there are, like, quite a few resources for that, but you have to do the effort to find them. And then also... Um, I think kind of what's becoming more known is just that um, if you want a diverse group of speakers, you have to make it clear like that there is some sort of pay or that, you know, you get a free ticket and they'll, tra- you know, travel and, you know, kind of just like mm-hmm. what is available if you want to come speak? Like how can you accommodate the, um, the speakers? A lot of people don't know that speakers get money or if they get mm-hmm. money. So you kind of like it seems too daunting to even think about applying, you know, is, uh, like often looks like something you right. would have to do for free, even if that's not the case. There's all these bars and they set up more and more. Uh, I guess I'll, I'll transition from there into that. So the next question is, it's sort of related to that, is the ADA initiative. I mean, I think, and I think this relates because you're talking about an unconference, which is a, a different kind of thing than, and it's not a new idea now. It goes back many years or several years, at least, that these, that unconferences have been happening. The ADA initiative is not new, but it's been rising in sort of 
prominence and its efforts are becoming, I think, better known. Tell me about, I know that you're not a mover, you're not the founder of the Aid Initiative, tell me about the Aid Initiative, like where that comes from, because I think that's going to lead, that's leading into, again, this room that we're sitting in now. Yeah, so we, I mean, we'd been hoping that Val Aurora, who's one of the founders of the Aid Initiative, could join us, and she's sick today, uh, but hopefully I, I won't do too bad of a job of describing it. So I, I, it's one of my favorite nonprofits. I think they're doing just amazing work. It's adainitiative.org, and they have this like huge list of things that they've been working on. Um, and she and Mary Gardner founded it, I guess, like about three years ago. And so what, they've, what they work on is like conference anti-harassment policies. So since they kind of made an example policy that makes it really easy for conferences to adapt and have one, then over 100 big conferences have adapted it. And having that, like, it's totally necessary. Um, but also it kind of, like, and it can just, just the existence can help prevent his, uh, um, harassment, but it also sets this signal to people who might not go because they've had, uh, like, bad experiences or heard bad things, you know, like, uh, I generally get harassed at most tech events, you know, like, uh Listeners can't see me hang my head and shake it, but that's what I'm doing right now. You know, and and so, like, having that at least helps set this tone. Like, these are the things that we expect, you know, of our attendees. And so, yeah, so they've done a lot of great work with that. They've done work with imposter syndrome workshops. Mm -hmm. Um, I know they do kind of, like, some consulting and and workshop giving for large companies who want to increase diversity, um, who want to do better events, who are just trying to, like, figure out how can they include more diversity in their tech organizations and especially like in improving their focus aid initiative is really like women in open source technology like yeah. minorities like people who need more support need more resources and like helping organizations do better with that for, for sure Let's pause for a moment so I can talk about Media Temple this week's sponsor I've got a discount code for you at the end of this spot For 15 years, Media Temple has been the web host of choice for web designers, developers, anybody who needs reliable and consistent hosting. With the grid hosting service, you can host 100 websites with one plan, which is great when you need to set up multiple sites for a project or subsites. You never need to worry about downtime, as the grid can handle all the traffic spikes. As you know, the internet is full of memes, and if you wind up getting virally spread, you want a site that's going to stay up and won't buckle under a 100,000 or a million views you didn't expect. And this is great because the grid comes with not just 100 gigabytes of storage, which is a lot for databases and files and other things you may need to have online, but it also includes a terabyte of bandwidth. That can help when you get these, again, viral spikes that suddenly bring a lot of people to you. You don't want to run out of bandwidth in the middle of that or pay a fortune for extra charges. There's a one-click install for WordPress. I know a lot of listeners are WordPress users, so you can install it with a click and get WordPress up and running and get to business. For more powerful hosting with root access and SSH access, something that I use all the time, Media Temple also offers virtual private server solutions. You can register a domain name with them, and it comes with free domain privacy as part of the cost. With 24 by 7 world-class support, available through phone, chat, and even Twitter, which you know, is kind of my favorite way of interacting. 
Media Temple, it's a web host you can count on. They work for you day and night. Now, here's that discount code I was talking about. New Disruptors listeners can get 25% off your first month of web hosting. Go to mediatemple.net and enter the promo code TND. That's T like the, N like new, D like disruptors at mediatemple.net and get 25% off your first month. And now back to our podcast. Well, we ran an article in the magazine um, called uh, Hacked Off, and it was about bias and discrimination and harassment in the hacktivism community. And what was interesting, the response to it was um, women identified with it, some men identified with it, and some men typically were said, no, this doesn't happen. It's totally merit-based. There's none of this going on. When it happens, we take care of it. And what you're talking about, it's a welcoming space. And I was like, I'm not trying to deny your personal experience because your personal experience, like you are obviously both um, – not paying full attention, but you're also probably not one of the people who's, you're not involved in an active act of something, but you are by denying that it exists for everyone because of your specific experience as a guy watching what's going on, you're actually passively enabling this by refusing to exist. The problem exists. And I was sort of stunned by the response, not because the people would respond that way, but how vehemently some people want to say uh, open source. No, come people on. People are really source. invested in that idea that they they got there by their own like effort and that privilege had nothing to do with it. But but even if it did, the fact that nobody else is being harassed around them, whether it's you know it's a non cisgender issue, if it's women being harassed, if it's minorities being excluded, but without all implicitly, without an act of um, without acts of aggression, without acts of somebody saying we don't want any blank here or attempting harassment. I mean, there's trolls and griefers and people like that everywhere. But I feel like there's a lack of awareness by people who are participating in a system in which they willfully ignore what's going on around them outside of their own privilege even. Have you seen the timeline of sexist incidents at tech conferences? Yes, I will. I've studied that and I will, <laughs> I will uh, link that into the show notes. And it's, it's sort of terrifying. But, you know, I'll tell you this. Well, it's, it's just like part of the like now it's being more documented. You know, a lot mm -hmm. of people have put a lot of work into the geek feminism wiki and people are starting to speak out more, document more. And that's kind of that helps some. But well, it'll create a new normative is if the if the idea is that you if the new norm is that you do speak out. So XOXO, there was an incident there that they've been written about actually quite widely is that one of the volunteers got someone said like you know had terrible things to her at an event with one of the attendees, and she, with the advice of a friend, went to the two organizers, Andy and Andy, and they immediately did what you're supposed to do in that circumstance. And she was came back the next day and she was overjoyed. She wrote a wonderful essay about being affirmed in her experience, that she that she was nervous about it, she went through it, and that she felt like she'd come out the other side, and it was handled. And it was it was a, a different, I felt like. I don't know if I've heard anything happen that publicly before that well. Yeah, I just wish there were more high-profile incidents of things being done right. Because well, there's, there's a lot of stuff that, you know, uh, watching the PyCon incident happen, mm -hmm. like... You know, the, the clear message is that you shouldn't speak up and that right. women who speak up are punished. Right. Everyone was fired. Or two of the three people involved were fired, including the person that the harassment happened to and the person who was involved in the harassment. I think they were both fired. So it was ugly. It was, yeah, it's, there's, yeah I mean, the policy thing is terrific. But, I, you know, I don't want to get too far afield of it. But I think this is the background, again, for, so I think the question I was going to come up with, I mean, going back to the beginning is you're creating a, women-oriented or, or a space for people who identify as women to explore, have tools at their disposal. Why is that necessary? Why um, do you want to do that? There, so, well, 
that's because it. we want to work on cool projects. Yeah, we like, we like all uh, you know. There's a lot of tools that are too expensive uh, or too big to have in a tiny San Francisco apartment. You know, so like I love screen printing, but haven't been able to do it very much here because it's you know there's screens, there's a big flat surface you need, you need like big sinks, right? Hinges, you need sinks, you need a place to store all your ink and paper and spread out. Um, And then like it's you know it's kind of hard to justify or afford having your own 3D printer um, or like a woodworking shop or what you know even minor woodworking tools and like a place that you can get sawdust on the floor or get paints on the floor. Make a little noise. So yeah, so we wanted we wanted to work on kind of like projects with our hands, like sewing, like other things that we have, like a lot of people are interested in. Um, And then we also wanted a place to come together and and meet and collaborate and like, uh, you know, publish scenes and articles together or host events or like teach each other our skills. Um, And so right now there's just not a place that we've, feel safe doing that. Like uh, the existing like hacker spaces and other yeah. things just haven't really met that need. Um, what, what's the, and I, you know, this is where I don't want to, I guess I don't want to pry, but I want to know as somebody outside of the experience, I, I want to understand in order to, so that there is more opportunity for everybody so that I'm not getting, a, I don't, I'm not, don't get to stay in a privileged position. So what, in what ways are, are do people not feel safe in these other environments? Is it sort of physical safety? Is it, is it um, a, like intellectual abuse? I mean, is it all? Is it everything? It's, it's, it's everything. Um, yeah, I mean, physical safety is definitely an issue. Um, there's twenty-four like hour access. Visiting to some of the other places, places right? like I've been followed around, even when I've made it clear that I don't want to talk to this person anymore. You know, don't need a tour. Um, you know, there's just kind of like that feeling of being watched because you're you know, the other, like, you're the only woman in the space. And, like, it kind of makes you want to go sit with your back to a wall so at least mm-hmm. you, like, know who's watching you. Or, you know, also the, like, oh, here, let me do that for you. You know, like, I've seen, you know, people who are typing or working on a tablet, like, have it actually taken away from them because they're, you know, instead of, you never see two dudes sitting there and then one grabbed the other person's computer, like, hang on, let me write that co- line of code for you. But that happens, like, all the time. You know, like mansplaining. Yeah, yeah. Um, the degree of patronization going on there. You know, I, I get told that it's cute that I won't know how to code, or like, there's a lot of surprise expressed that I have a degree in electrical engineering. You know, like I so sometimes it, forget what year we live in when I hear that it, kind of yeah. Thing. You know, so just like that, you know, a lot of the stuff is, you know, there is definitely physical safety, but a lot of the stuff is just kind of more minor, like the death by a thousand paper cuts. Yeah, like yeah. it just wears you down. Like you have to be on your guard against sexism or, you know, like you feel like it's fine. And then someone says something and like brings you back to like, oh yeah, I don't belong here. Good job. I, I almost forgot. So um, you want a space in which that simply. So yeah, so we're, you know, like that's where hopefully you have to worry less about that yeah. happening. You know, like I'm sure that we're not going to be perfect here either. People will always patronize but, each other. You can be sure of that. But, but you will have, you'll have... But, you know, like when we mm-hmm. were constructing this shelving and stuff up here on the wall, um, we were just doing this, hanging out, and there were some new members and, and people who wanted to be members visiting like a, a month or two ago. And they were like, oh, I haven't used uh, these power tools before. And, oh, you should do that. And then, yeah. uh, like, watching 
somebody try to like give me back the the drill and you're like oh no like you know put my hands behind my back almost like well just try that like what do you think you should do next like maybe is there like a button you would push to make it do what you want it to do like where do you think that would be and like you know just like seeing and not my not just myself but seeing people like carefully interacting in that way and like not grabbing stuff and let me do that for you I was just talking um, um, recently at uh, Jean McDonald uh, for, of uh, App Camp for Girls on, and she said that they felt it was important not just to have only girls in the workshop, but all the instructors are women as well. And she said, you know, it wasn't. It's funny. It's not exactly premeditated, but she's. Like, it sounds like there's not a there's an issue about fear of failure or or reticence that in an environment of mixed genders of whatever proportion it is. It's just the dynamic is different and we can't today. I mean, it's a societal thing. You can get the ideal group of people. I know there are co-ops and, and collaboratives and so forth in which people have worked out those details of personality and societal expectation and so forth. But that in general, on average, that you get a group of girls in a room and these girls all became programmers in a week and it was awesome. And she felt it was important to have that separate space so that just what those issues didn't come into play if they were going to come into play. Yeah, and just like having it feel totally normal to be doing that is a big thing. Uh, it's pretty nice to, yeah, it, it definitely feels really powerful to be hanging out in a space with all women working on technical things. Um, I guess like it's something you can't experience because if you go in and try to observe, <laughs> then it would go away. Um, I know that's sort of that's actually the funny part. It's like it's, and this is what Jean said too. Is she's like. She actually wants to do app camp for everybody because she found the interest is really high in the approach that they're doing, but it has to be app camp for girls first because the opportunity isn't there. They're not getting the same encouragement. They're getting steered away. Every little decision pushes girls further and further away from science, engineering, you know, technology, and math. Um, this is all by way of preamble in some sense. I wanted to sort of set the stage because I feel like I'm not necessarily very – I mean, I, I try to stay informed. I'm not necessarily informed about – the decision making that goes into this kind of thing, and uh, and all the reasons by, for which you made the choice to set the parameters for it—that you wanted to have a place for women who identify or people who identify as, as uh, women to come and be—and let's get into the practical part now. So they have a concept. We're in a space. It's about to be transformed. Um, what kind of steps did you take when you so you come out of this meeting, the unconference? You're jazzed up about it. You know, other spaces like this exist or in planning. Uh, how do you start organizing something like that? You, you said you had some initial meetings with people. Yeah, so we, we started meeting at um, either my house or Liz Henry's house. Every Tuesday, there's just a set, you know, if you could make it that Tuesday. And then we would spend, you know, an hour or two trying to take the next step. So figuring out that we wanted to be a corporation, and then we would go for fiscal sponsorship so that we could be a nonprofit. Um, and if you want to know more about fiscal sponsorship, I will direct you to the episode with Jean McDonald. I'll put it in the show notes. We talked about for about 15 minutes about that. It's really great. Yeah, so that's a it's like a pretty nice way of becoming a nonprofit without having to do the epic paperwork for it. Yeah, so you've got the other company. There's other group is helping you. They deal with that side of it, and you get to focus on fundraising or other tasks. Yeah, and so um, and then we kind of you know made more of the formative decisions. Mm -hmm. Uh, designed and built a website. Uh, we started doing some events, you know, before we... So we uh, spent a while looking for a space to rent. Um, so the space that we have now is maybe 750 square feet, and it's on Valencia Street in the Mission, kind of near the 16th Mission, BART and Zeitgeist and Four Barrel Coffee. And 
so that's a, it's a really great space because it's near transit. Um, it's on a street that feels safe to walk around at night. Um, there's and there's like not just BART but other like buses and um, it's pretty bikeable too. Um, so we wanted so we, it was definitely like we were looking for a space that was affordable, a space that was accessible and like felt safe to go to. So we spent a few months, you know, like going to look at different places. And then also, you know, initial fundraising. So we decided that we wanted the kind of day-to-day, like the the rent and the internet bill and that kind of stuff to be paid out of uh, member dues, but then that we would do fundraisers for like, oh, we would like to have a screen print shop, a zine making shop, woodworking tools, and AV setup, you know, and so that... um, you know, that was part of, like, a fundraiser we just did, so... You did not use Indiegogo for that? Yeah. How much did you raise in that campaign? Uh, so we, our goal was to raise... That was kind of, like, the build-out campaign. Mm-hmm. So minimally, we, uh, to open in January, we needed to, well, redo the floor, which is about to happen. Uh, so right now, uh, all the all the tools that we do have now are kind of packed up into boxes mm-hmm. and sitting on the tables and... We're getting the carpet ripped out, and we're having a, a local business come in and, and like epoxy the floor, so it would be a cement floor, so we could get it messy and mm-hmm. easy to clean up. So th- we wanted to do that and the build out some more, mostly shelving infrastructure and workbenches, and that that our goal was five thousand mm-hmm. dollars, um, and we hit that goal in like under half an hour. We had <laughs> yeah, it, it was we were kind of like whoa, all right, and so. Uh, so the, I think the total of after ten days was a little over fifteen grand, mm-hmm. and yeah, they, I think there were almost two hundred people that that gave to the campaign, and there's just a lot of excitement. Um, Seattle Attic did a, a really successful fundraiser that kind of started in the middle of ours, so mm-hmm. they um, we could like promote each other's because um, there were a lot of people in Seattle who were excited and wanted to give to D- double union, but we we're also like, but there's Seattle attic too. <laughs> and, um, yeah, I think they raised like, uh, over 11 grand maybe. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so we, we did that fundraiser, but before that to get the, the space rented and put a deposit and, um, buy, you know, the, there's like tables and chairs and couches and stuff in here. Um, and so we kind of fundraised amongst ourselves. So a lot of people were able to donate like $500, a couple hundred dollars, Many of the people are in the founding group, you know, have tech jobs or previously worked in tech oh, jobs. Yeah. Oh, and some of them get matching money from work too, don't they? Yeah, and I don't think anybody fun. in that that crew no, initially people. did. Right, Got to get some um, Apple folks in here to get their hundred percent matching. It's very exciting. Yeah, and I know that uh, Attic is taking advantage of some matching, oh, uh, yeah, yeah. which is great. Microsoft and uh, not the Amazon. Not the Amazon believes in that matching thing, but Microsoft. That's good charity work. But so the so um, what do you so uh, you're gonna when you um, open the space in January? What kind of tools and or what I guess what's the range of what you're gonna have for people to uh, work with here? Yeah. So um, so right now we have like basic basic tools um, and then like some basic power tools like a saw and drills and that kind of thing. Um, we have basic screen print stuff, and we're gonna kind of fully build out a, a print shop. You know, mm-hmm. so have an exposure unit and have a, one of those big wire racks so that we can make a lot of posters because we're pretty interested in making our own propaganda, you know, like this, this stuff we'd like to see and be able to make T-shirts and that kind of thing, tote bags. Um, so it would be screen printing, um, a small wood shop. So 
drill press, tabletop lathe, maybe a router. Some other people were suggesting kind of similar but even better things. We have Dremel tools and that kind of stuff mm-hmm. now. Then a lot of uh, like textile and fiber arts of all kinds. So like anything you can imagine with yarn and wool, um, weaving, knitting, crocheting. Um, and then what else am I forgetting? I think we're... Uh, there's going to be a, a big like circuits and microcontrollers yeah, set up, you know, yeah. so lots of soldering irons. Um, we've got kind of like one each of all the, you know, Arduino, Raspberry Pi, <laughs> Lily Pad, a bunch of uh, the like good microcontrollers to start playing with and some shields for them. Um, and then we have a pretty big budget from the Indiegogo now to get a bunch of others, like basic stuff to get mm-hmm. started so that, I know a lot of people are interested in, um, you know, like scarves that twinkle and light up with LEDs while they walk at at night, you know, because want to keep wearing all black but don't want to get hit by cars. Or um, more like fabric that listens to the dance music and lights up your dress or shirt, the LED patterns to beat with Mm -hmm. the music, you know, so maybe a bunch of people could dance at the same time wearing the same outfit and be coordinated those are two projects that are going on. Okay. I I want to make my bike lights light up with my heartbeat. I was tweeting about that. I was like, does this already exist? And it doesn't. So I'll, I'm going to build that, and then I'll like put it on, put the plans out there or something. So that that idea, you know, like there's bands that you can wear that track your heartbeat, and then watches that receive that. But you can also just buy the chip. So like. Basically, it's like, how would you connect the chip to... Oh, I love that. That's great. Some kind of signal generator that makes the light patterns that you want. Yeah. So you have a, so it's a it's a fairly big range of stuff, though, from, I mean, sort of conventional, like, you know, shop stuff, uh, textile, circuitry, 3D printing. Mm-hmm. Um, wood shop. Wood shop, yeah. All this um, is great. So it'll be... And, oh, and lots of zine making. Mm-hmm. Lots of, you know, long-arm sticklers yeah. and folders and oh, God, I love duplexing. So you have to get a paper jogger. I was just looking at a list of those the other days. Oh, so you really? a paper jogger? It's the thing. It vibrates. It's a big metal frame, and you put loose paper in it, and it vibrates it, so it becomes perfectly flat. Sorry, this is my anal return of side coming out. I used to work <laughs> in printing plants, and it's like the, they, they're just the most wonderful machine. Just, and then it's perfectly flat. Anyway. Uh, oh, and a big library. A big library, right. So uh, lots of how-to stuff, feminism, just stuff that you can educate yourself to mm-hmm. either learn how to do things or be a better person. And you've said this is going to be a membership organization, so you you wanted to – the fundraising was to get above what you want as your baseline to cover Our, rent and other things. No, no. So the, uh, the fundraising was to furnish it with enough tools mm-hmm. and, um, and then also do the construction. You know, like it's right. pretty hard to do stuff with paint and dust. In a space that's carpeted. Yeah, yeah. But so this, uh-huh. but the but the membership's going to cover your basic so the membership your operating. Sh- yeah. Costs. So this building is uh, has a lot of nonprofits in it, so it's a it's a pretty good deal. Um, so the operating costs are actually fairly low. So um, right now we have about thirty members and another twenty five people or so just applied. And we'll probably grow to eighty or hundred by the end of January. And is that capacity maybe somewhere that, that it's getting? It, yeah, I'm not sure what capacity will be. It, yeah. But yeah, so I, th- I think that definitely by we're 75% of the way to covering stuff just oh, from great. dues, you know, so it's... What's the monthly due uh, run? Uh, monthly dues are kind of sliding scale, so mm-hmm. 
10 bucks to 100 bucks kind of I was going to ask cuz inclusivity right so yeah not, so it's, it's like point, yeah. it's very much depending on what you can pay mm-hmm. um so a lot of people with tech jobs are much more on the 100 bucks than the yeah. month side but people who don't have tech jobs or who don't aren't employed right now definitely aren't expected to you know like we want to be able to support everybody how do you reach out to people who you want to come into the space who might think you know, either I can't afford it or this isn't the space for me. Are these people who, who people who come in as members, do they need to be self-starters and self-guided? Or is there a way that you're going to try to guide people to come in and to become part of it? Well, you know, so we haven't even officially opened. Yeah. <laughs> and you already have members, right? Yeah. And we, so we, we started out with a te- like a group of like 10 or 12 core people who were meeting over the summer. And then have cut, as soon as we got the space at the beginning of October – as we started building it out, um, people started joining kind of slowly, mostly from the the like group of activists and technologists that we already knew. Um, and now the web app that's our website lets people like uh, link their GitHub account and, uh, and then oh, yeah. answer some questions about what they want to work on in the space and what they've been up to, what kind of projects they're excited about, and link to their Twitter account. So we, you know, all of this is... Uh, JFDI, as several people say, you know, so just getting it done. Um, so we're, we're, you know, so far um, it's been a pretty diverse crowd, but I'm hoping that it can be even more diverse mm-hmm. and that we can just kind of do a lot of outreach to the various tech and art organizations that are out there that yeah. are serving different groups and be like, hey, this is out here, come visit, you know, come see if this is something that you're interested in, see if you want to use the tools. What you had said before we recorded the podcast, we were talking about whether it's going to be education-oriented, and I know there's some maker spaces that that's kind of a big part. Uh, there's a maker house in Seattle, which is a huge facility, and they do a membership approach as well, and they do tons of ongoing education. But that's kind of, they have classroom, that's sort of part of their mission. They have a lot of space as well. Um, where will education fit in, either initially or long-term, to, to the space? Yeah, so there's definitely a the feeling that we want to make this like a space for ourselves. Like, mm-hmm. so you don't feel like you have to come here and like help people or right. teach people, you know, like that you can come and like learn how to use the sewing machine or the serger if you want to. So, um, you know, or serger is the best. Machine. Sergers are great. Best yeah. I'm really excited about, and it's so hard to afford a serger. They're, yeah. And they're like, and you don't scale. use them very much. Yeah. And like, Yeah. So, so like coming in, being able to to learn how to use new tools is is exciting. But like not having this feeling of like pressure, like you have to teach classes or like more of a, a space where you can come and work on your projects, like a place for you. Um, so yeah, there's definitely that that like ethic about it. Mm-hmm. Um, but we will be having like you know set times and places where people can teach classes. I think it would be a great way, you know, teaching is such a good way to learn and mm-hmm. people who are interested in sharing their skills will be able to teach classes here. What's, um, what are your thoughts about how you get girls and young women involved in this where, um, again, there's sort of this, I mean, I don't know if culture is changing or not, but there's, this is now omnipresent, like high schools and now even down to, uh, my, one of my son's elementary school, they're doing after school programs. So it involves 3d printing and design. Um, so these are becoming available even at a young age. You could get SketchUp from Google and send stuff off to service bureaus or have a t- you know cheap printer for $100 to $200 in your house. What are your efforts there? Do you have any interest in that being part of your mission to try to bring in a younger generation and show them what's possible here? 
Um, so there's kind of like the uh, Ash Dryden. Uh, mm-hmm. Have you read her blog? Yes. Yeah. So, yes, I have. You know, so she <laughs> she does a really the, yeah. Everybody yeah. should read Ash yeah, Dryden's I blog. I follow her on Twitter. And it's, it's so very excellent. Eye opening. Uh, yeah. So she's done a lot of uh, like really brilliant talks about and and like writing about like how there's kind of like this focus on the pipeline problem, but people aren't paying attention to attrition, you know, like, Oh yeah. Okay. So this is, you know, like you can, you know, it's definitely, we need more girls getting involved. You know, I was definitely a beneficiary of some of those projects, you know, like I got somehow like got to do microcontrollers in like eighth grade and did some like engineering camps, you know, like math team is total, total nerd. Uh, and like, those are really awesome, but that's not what double union is about. It's mm-hmm. more about like, how do we who are here yeah, stay here? You know, like so many down. people are just opting out mm-hmm. because it's just not a comfortable place. It's like, it just kind of sucks to work in technology a lot of times. Um, this is a place you can come and it doesn't suck. Yeah. <laughs> so, that's so a yeah, motto. so. <laughs> <laughs> not as positive as you'd like though, I know. Yeah. I mean, that's. That's not a motto at all. <laughs> that would be terrible. <laughs> sorry, that's the well, that's the inverse. Double union, it doesn't that's suck. Sorry. Yeah, that's that's already taken. I'm sorry, but it's but, the, it's a place. Well, it's a place you want people to be able to come. I understand that. So that's the so the pipeline problem. Some people like App Camp for Girls is working on the pipeline problem. Is how do you how do you avoid people being deterred from what may be their bliss, right? And then this is the other side is people who may have found their bliss or on the way to find their bliss who are being deterred by attitude, and you want to remove part of that so you keep people yeah or, i mean not even bliss but just a way to make money and be you know that could be bliss like no, how I to understand. have a job um yeah so it's definitely this is more a focus on the attrition problem like how do we all stay in the industry and stay mm-hmm. connected and stay happy this is pretty neat well so uh i'll look forward to pictures when the floor is gone and stuff's coming up but it's um i like an exposed ceiling there's there's brick behind some drywall I'm looking at some insulation, it looks at high windows that have been hidden from the world for a long time. So you can see some natural light coming in from outside even. It's a great space, and I um, and good luck on getting it all fitted out. Yeah. Well, uh, thanks for talking. This, this is a pleasure. You can now support the production of this podcast directly by becoming a patron at patreon.com. That's P A T. R-E-O-N dot com. Support us at a level of $1 or more per podcast. At higher levels of support, you get our on-air thanks and more. We'll be adding more patronage benefits over time. You can also sponsor this show. Visit podlexing.com, that's P-O-D-L-E-X-I-N-G, for more details about how to get your product or service in front of the attractive and clever listeners of The New Disruptors. Our theme music is by Jeff Tolbert, who you'll find at jefftolbert.com, and our audio engineer is Michael Warner. Our podcast audio is hosted by SoundCloud. We are a production of The Magazine, an electronic periodical for curious people with a technical bent. Find out more and read free articles at the-magazine.org. We're also a happy part of the Boing Boing family of podcasts. This podcast is licensed under the Creative Commons by NCND 3.0 license. Feel free to distribute it intact and with attribution to us by linking back to our site. We only ask you don't offer it for sale. I'm your host, Glenn Fleischman. Please join us again next time. Thanks for listening.